0: This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. Today, my guest is Kristen Higgins, The New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly bestselling author. Kristen's 18 books have been translated into more than two dozen languages and sold millions of copies worldwide. Her latest novel, Good Luck With That, follows three women, Best Pals Emerson... Marley and Georgia, whose lifetime battles with obesity, was the bond that brought them together. The death of one provides a catalyst for self-discovery, change, and acceptance for the other two. Oh, hello, darling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you in your pajamas? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Caught you. Caught you. Well, so am I. But you're three hours ahead of me. So <laughs> listen, no judging. <laughs> good. Okay. No judgment. I want to talk about Good Luck with That, not just because it broke my heart to read it, but because it must have broken your heart to write it. I could tell that. And, you know, you have these three wonderful protagonists, and sadly, one of them dies at the very beginning of the book, who's Emerson, but we get to see her through her diary pages. And I think that's really wonderful. So I just want to ask you, how did you come up with that
1: concept? Well, I had been wanting to write a book about family, food, and friendship. right? And I think that I've dealt with issues of body image and self-esteem before, but this is my 18th book, In the 17 previous, it's not as much of an issue as I think it is for many women. And so I wanted to write a book in which there's body acceptance and self-care without weight loss. And I wanted to show the journey to get there because I think so many women, maybe every woman, battles with the messages that we get from every corner and every person about how we're supposed to look on top of everything else that we do in life as humans and as women and you know we also get these messages of look a certain way whether we reject them or internalize them they're there They have to be dealt with and in so much of fiction I think that People of size are presented either as wanting to lose weight or completely happy with themselves. I have never read a character like Emerson who is a true food addict, yet we know there are people like that who can't get around by themselves, who are disabled because of their weight. I think that as a society, um, we look at folks like that and say, how did you get there? And why didn't you stop? at a certain point. Why don't you take care of yourself? And I wanted to answer that question. How did you get there? Right. And I wanted to show Emerson as a person who was intelligent and insightful and lovely and kind, but also addicted. I think food addiction is something that's not very understood. It's not dealt with as compassionately as like Opioid addiction or alcoholism or even anorexia, the other end of that spectrum of food disorders. And I wanted to see what it was like to be in that situation and to be helpless in the face of addiction.
0: Wow, well, I you know, what you just said right there kind of hits it on the head. I mean, we we romanticize smoking and alcohol. You know, you could be a bon vivant and have those two addictions. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> heroin not so much, even though heroin she could right. be a thing. Oh God, yes. Yeah. But it's funny that because we are such a visual society, that when you look at somebody who is overweight or who is obese, you don't see them. You know, there is a thing that we have where we kind of draw back instead of lean in with that mm-hmm. person and. Thanks for pointing that out. You know, when you just said that, I was just thinking, yeah, addiction, why is it treated
1: differently? Right, right. And, you know, the options are to, as you say, romanticize it or to just ignore it. And actually, I had just started writing this book when This Is Us came out. Right. And I was so, I was so excited to see a character... Kate, played by the wonderful Chrissy Metz, and to see her presented as a whole person who is also obese. They don't romanticize her weight. That opening scene of the entire series is her getting on the scale naked. Right. Yet she's not just fat, she's also beloved by her brothers, her daddy's special girl growing up. She's in mourning for her dad in this complicated grief cycle she is romantically pursued and desired. She has this really sticky, messy relationship with her mother that I love. But until This Is Us, I had not seen a character of size, of that size, taken so seriously. So I think the time is right for Good Luck With That. I think that it's a conversation. It's part of the conversation that we need to have about Americans and food. And, you know, we live in this society where we love to eat. We mark every special occasion by food. And we're incredibly judgmental about heavy people. Right, right.
0: The three protagonists that you have, you have Emerson, of course, who sadly passes away. You have Marley, who, from what I can tell, has a loving family, but also has survivor guilt because of Mm -hmm. the sibling that she lost, the twin. And then you also Mm -hmm. have Georgia, who has the rejection of, you know, her older brother and her mother. So all of this kind of is, you know, each of them has an area where they have an emotional issue. I presume you did. I know you did research because I remember you talking (laughs) about the research that you've done on this book. Were the turning points in somebody's life who then all of a sudden goes to food for comfort?
1: Well, I think that um, I chose to have three protagonists to show three different points of view on body image and self-esteem. Marley is the healthiest, both like in terms of self-esteem and physically. She is significantly overweight. I never say exactly how much, but you know she has to shop in uh, plus-size stores. And yet she enjoys her body. She takes care of it. She eats well most of the time, goes out for cheesecake with her mom, goes to the family dinners every Sunday. And, you know, food is a very happy, joyful part of her life. She's a chef, you know, um, no mistake. And I wanted to depict someone who isn't the size that doctors tell you to be and yet is living her best life. What really holds her back is the survivor's guilt she has over her her twin sister, Frankie. And that plays into her relationship with her body and food because she's the sturdy twin. And her sister is this little frail thing who dies when she's four. And so Marley's size is celebrated and something that's a relief to her parents. Thank God she can always eat. You know, she's never going to be wasting away or, or sick. And I loved writing that. I loved writing someone who was, had an easier time being body positive, who knew that she was an attractive woman who still has insecurities. I mean, I just think that's real life. For Georgia, I I think Georgia is probably the most like me of the three women in terms of the struggles she's had with food where she's bounced all over with eating habits and crash diets and this feeling that her body is never right no matter what size it is. I think that's a really common experience. I've been talking to hundreds of people this past month about this. And everyone says the same thing, you know, I I do this to myself too and I, I wish I didn't, but I do. Right. So I really loved writing all three characters. Georgia, because of my own history with eating disorders and, you know, weight gain and loss and that that kind of thing, she was probably the easiest for me to write. And Emerson, having the issues um, with her size that she did, she was, um, she required the most research that I had to do. And I, I wanted to get it right. I came up with the idea of writing a book where this idea of we need to be a certain size is challenged, and also that it would be from three points of view. And as soon as I knew that there would be these three characters, I started researching. I spent three months before I started writing the book reading about the science of weight loss, the failure of diet, the purpose that fat serves why your body fights so hard to keep it, and also the specifics of each woman. I've read books by body-positive activists like Lindy West and Jess Baker. I read articles by Roxanne Gay, who's been so brutally honest about her struggles with her body image and her self-esteem. I watched documentaries, I talked to doctors, and then the most personal aspect of my research was I went to Reddit, that black hole of the internet, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what's it like to be morbidly obese, if you don't mind sharing? And it was amazing. I heard from dozens of people who talked about the issues that go along with you know, having a BMI of 50 or more. Mm. And the physical pain, the emotional pain, the reasons that they eat, the desperate attempts to not eat, because it's not about the food; it's about the emotional wounds that you carry that you are trying to smother with food. Right. And the reaction to, you know, psychological emotional pain. So I'm very grateful to those people who shared with me, and also like talking to my friends who who come in every shape and size. Talking about that, it was like this taboo subject of we're not supposed to care. Mm-hmm. As feminists, as women in 2018, we're not supposed to care about these things. We have more important things to do. And yet we do. A lot of us do. And we do look in the mirror and sigh or cry or worse, you know. So I really wanted to explore how do you get past it, which is why the book is called Good Luck with That. <laughs> you know, it's a monumental task of taking the weight of our society and the negative voices that tell us you know, we're supposed to all look like Beyonce or somehow a disappointment if we don't have a certain size of a shape and getting through that and getting to the other side where people like Jess Baker and Lindy West seem to be. Right, right. Um, and I wanted to write about friendship and how profound an impact that can have on your life. Family of choice with Georgia. She has this um, difficult family. I want to kill that brother. Oh, I I know. (laughs) (laughs) I hated Hunter. I hated Freddie Hunter. Um, But also like how your friends, when you're honest with your friends, when you can talk about these things and trust another person with this, whether it's your spouse or your sister or, you know, your friend, how you can pull each other through the hard times, and how we always look at our friends and see their best qualities, and how we need to turn that kindness on ourselves as well. Right. And treat ourselves the way we would treat a beloved friend. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the book is painful to read at times. It's funny, it's joyful, it's wrenching. And I wanted it to be all those things.
0: You have a very wonderful ability to add both a sweetness and a dash of bitter to your books.
1: (laughs) Sounds like a good cocktail. (laughs) Sweetness Sweetness with a dash of bitter.
0: (laughs) I want to read you one particular line you wrote that I feel is so spot on and so insightful about the lives that someone who is not just obese, but a lot of people who are overweight feel the the same way. Uh, The line is Marley's, and she says, we fat girls sometimes take what's offered instead of what we really want. And in this case, she's talking about relationships but i can see where that could have been spoken of any of the protagonists in the book georgia marley or emerson and also it could be true about anything in any part of their lives i yeah. want to just compliment yeah. you on just like getting to the the point of it really <laughs> you know you know
1: boom you hit it thank you that is um in reference to her relationship with with camden who is Pretty much her friend, her brother's co-worker, and her occasional booty call. And she would love to be his girlfriend. And he is not taking that step. And she's settling. And she keeps telling herself, like, I'm not going to settle anymore. But she's afraid to push it. And this is something that I've seen talked about a lot, whether it's with a close friend or on television or in a movie where, you know... I want to be your girlfriend. I want to come out of the closet and and be seen in public with you. And, you know, a lot of men have no problem with women of size and find them more attractive. And Raphael and Will in the book are two of those men. Right. Really, they they love these women for who they are and how they look. You know, I mean, they're, they're desirable, sexy women. And, you know, like there's an issue with with clothing in the book, you know, about the clothing made for women of size, how it's crappier fabric and more expensive and harder to find. And, you know, again, like a fat girl has to settle for what's offered. You have two stores at the mall where the clothes will fit you and you need a shirt, you got to buy what's offered, you know? So I do think it's applicable to a lot and for, you know, for all three of women in different times of the book. There was a very
0: poignant um, insight that Morley had regarding Frankie, her twin, where she says her mother has this whole, you know, litany of, you know, Frankie-isms essentially. Right. You know, she died when they were four. So she's like, all of mom's memories are becoming mine even, and they're, they're blocking out my memories of Frankie, which is very important. You know, I mean, when you're, when, when you have a twin, first of all, that's a special bond. And then Mm -hmm. when you have You know this devastating trauma that happens when when one goes. There's that loss, but then you you, your memories of that person are just as important to you as her mom's memories of Frankie are to the mom. But I can see where that would feel like I'm losing that part of myself and my twin.
1: Yeah, and that's so insightful. You know, that was another thing that I researched a lot. When a family loses a family member, um, there is sort of In some respects, a competition of grief. When you talk about someone you loved as much as most families do, you do start to remember the telling of the memory rather than the memory itself. Uh Yeah. And she's been unable to tell her wonderful family how much she misses her sister. Uh She was four when her twin died. And although the DeFelice family is close and loving and affectionate, she can't tell them the truth. Because she feels like, I can't disappoint them by saying, I feel like half of a whole. I think about Frankie all the time. I don't even remember her, but I miss her. And then if your twin dies, you're still a twin. Right. You're a twin without a twin. And I thought it was very poignant to write about Marley and Frankie and how present Frankie was for Marley, how she thought of her sister all the time. Right. Constantly wondered how she was, what she would think. If only she was alive, we would be doing this together. And to be unable to share that with her family was something that was her challenge to get past. And I think when she does have that breakthrough, it's a really beautiful scene.
0: It was. Thank you for that from a reader.
1: (laughs) I hope you cried.
0: (laughs) You know, darling, when your husband's going, what the hell are you crying about now? (laughs) At some point, you have to give up the ghost, right? (laughs) I also want to bring up Mika, who was Emerson's boyfriend and the relationship and how he enabled her eating. I was so blown away by that.
1: A lot of addiction requires an enabler. I watched this really intense and beautiful documentary called All of Me as part of the research. And it was about a group of women in Texas, I believe, big, beautiful women and they go to an event at a hotel for big, beautiful women. And there's men there who go to meet women of size because they find them attractive and want to connect, you know, like, like any human. And so the documentary follows these women for a couple of years. And a lot of them, like in the 12, in the group of 12 that they follow, I would say maybe four or five get gastric bypass surgery mm. or a gastric sleeve. And their marriages fail, Mm. or their relationships fail, because these guys really liked their size and didn't want them to become thinner. And in Micah's case, it was, he's what they call a feeder, where he is someone who is turned on by the control of her size and increasing her size. And you think, oh, you know, that's, absolutely horrible and who would do that well there are people who do that just like there are spouses of alcoholics who go out and buy the vodka right you know I feel like in this story I believe Micah loved Emerson he certainly seemed to in his actions the way she reports them right until she gets too sick Mm -hmm. until she gets really unable to care for herself when she starts having these very serious health issues. He starts to disappear, and I think in my mind he's scared. You know, he can't face the loss, and he's not a great guy. You know, right. he um, seemed to love her. I I did want her to have that, but I do. You know, like just because it's hard to read about doesn't mean it doesn't exist in the real world. You know, so there are. You know, you can go to Google and type in eater and enabler and find out about this type of person.
0: You know, it's interesting to her own um realization as to the role he played in her life, also in a way, I think played obviously played into her death, because to some extent she also died of a broken heart.
1: Well, I think she she does come to realize that he was an enabler and that even when it came to this last month of her life, when her health is spiraling out of control and you know the handwriting is on the wall, that she realizes he used her and where is he now? Right. So she's heartbroken, but she's also older and wiser in a sense, where she sees their relationship more clearly and understands. I pushed away people who really loved and valued me. That would be Georgia and Marley for who I was. and. I let in this wolf into the hen house, kind of. And, um, and I, wish, I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't been so hard on myself. I wish I had known how worthy I was. And because of her trauma as a child, because of the losses that she suffered, she wasn't able to get there soon enough. Her story is a tragedy. And not everybody wins their battles, you know? I think what's so hard about that is to recognize she's not going to get a happy ending. Right. She deserved one, but she didn't. All my characters have to fight for a transformation, not physical, but emotional in some respect to get that ending that they really deserve. And Emerson didn't. She didn't fight for that. Right. So, you know, there is that element of tragedy. And I think it's treated as such. You know, it's, she's not a plot device. She's not inspiring anyone to lose weight. No. They don't lose weight. I mean, actually Georgia is losing weight, but for the wrong reasons, she's ignoring her health. And Marley says flat out, I'm not going to lose weight. You know. Right. But she's gonna eat healthy. Yeah, I mean she does eat healthily. Right. You know, she's a chef and she eats healthfully much of the time. But when you grow up in a family that eats the way her family did, you're going to be overweight unless you're very, very blessed. Right. With a high metabolism. uh, (laughs) <laughs> right. Like her, her brother is a, a firefighter, you know, she, and she says like someday it might catch up to you, Dante, but she says, maybe this is as good as it's going to get. And maybe I'll never lose the weight. So what am I going to do? Right. Am I going to punish myself for not being skinny for the rest of my life? Or am I just going to say, this is my body and it works.
0: Right. And whoever loves her will love her for who she is, not yeah. for, oh my God, she's a few pounds overweight or she's, you know, right. so much overweight. Right. I loved how you drove the plot with Emerson's final request that they kind of complete what they had all put together when they met each other at the fat camp, when they were teenagers. The whole thing about, here's a list of things we will do no matter what. And it's, right. to me, that was a beautiful, you know, they're going through the list. And in fact, Georgia encourages her nephew to create a list for himself. hmm how did you come up with a list idea? I'm frankly, like they are, I don't like the term bucket list. <laughs> right. And <laughs> no, put list. that in there. I don't like bucket list.
1: <laughs> I mean, haven't we all made those lists of things we hope to do someday, whether it's live in a foreign city or get my master's degree or something like that. And when you're a teenager, as the girls were when they made this list at their weight loss camp, which doesn't work. You know, I'm, one of my messages is dieting doesn't work. Taking care of yourself, that's what you need to do. You have to stop viewing health as a size or a weight. But, you know, their weight loss camp doesn't work. They lose a little weight, they gain it back, which is the cycle of dieting that makes that industry worth billions and billions of dollars. But here they are, they're 17 years old. And they think, let's make a list of things we'll do when we're skinny, when we've lost the weight and achieved that physical ideal, which none of them ever achieves. And it's filled with those things that we think of as thin privilege. And in fact, there's an organization called ThisIsThinPrivilege.org, <laughs> and a lot of my ideas came from there. Of like, you have to be skinny to wear a bikini on the beach and not get insulted, right? Or You can't order dessert in public, or people will give you the stink eye. And it was really eye opening. And also, I felt that way. You know, I felt that horror of going to the beach because I wasn't thin enough. Mm. And up until this year, I've never owned a bikini. You know? So at 53, I finally thought, you know, this pasty white body of mine with its scars from childbirth and surgery, and you know, it's not symmetrical, <laughs> it's not a particularly pleasing color. Hey, everybody gets to see it at the beach. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but you know what? Nobody ran away in horror, nobody fainted, um, <laughs> nobody gave me the stink eye. I think so much of it comes from ourselves, our own confidence of like, oh, Kristen, sorry, you do not have a bikini-ready body. And then there's the women who say, you know what a bikini-ready body is? It's a body and you put a bikini on it. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, that's the way we should think of it.
0: You know, that's how the Europeans think of it. Why don't we? Right,
1: I know, I know. And so this list comes from these girls lacking the security, lacking the confidence of just kind of owning their physical selves taking care of their physical selves, appreciating them, and doing whatever the hell they want without those fears. And so, yes, Marley does say the only problem with the list was that it was called Things Will Do When We're Skinny. It should have just been called Things we Will Do. Right. And all of the things are symbolic. You know, one of the things on the list is tucking in a shirt. And that's one of those things where I always felt too fat to tuck in a shirt. Don't have a flat stomach. I never have. And bulgy around the middle, you know. And I think, like, if only I had the figure where I could tuck in a shirt and look amazing. And that's just my own self telling myself I don't look great that way. I was gonna say,
0: Kristen, because that, you know,
1: I've seen you.
0: (laughs) I've been in the same room with you. I've been close to you. I don't see that about you at all. I mean, I so see you you with a tucked-in shirt. (laughs) I guess,
1: but. I mean, that's that's another issue of the book of like, there is no weight limit on self loathing. Yeah. You can, you know, I don't think you can escape it. I'm my own daughter who's 22. Who's is, adorable, by the way. She's, thank you. She's very pretty and she's very fit. She takes good care of herself. She eats well. She runs. She was talking this summer to her cousin, who is equally beautiful. And they were talking about how oh, I look back at pictures of myself. You know, when I was 17, and I wish I was that then again. And I, I was so sad to hear them say that. And I said to them both, you know, ladies, you are as good as it gets. Appreciate yourselves, you know, enjoy yourselves. Stop with the judgment. Right, right. And you're going to feel a lot happier. And it's sad, though, that it has nothing to do with your actual reality. And that's one of the points of the book is that here's Georgia has never been thinner, she's starting to get noticed in ways that she has not been before. And she starts to realize there is thin privilege. There are things that you get when you look a certain way. You know, the guy at the deli counter gives her free cheese or something like that. And, right. you know, the barista remembers her name after five years and she gets a raise and a promotion that she didn't get the year before when mm. she was heavier. And she hates knowing that people are judging her on her looks, even if they're judging her favorably. So that was another thing to explore. We are a sizist nation.
0: Right. I think it's the same with Georgia, where she's talking about children. I may be wrong about this, but she mentions how, when you're young, that little kids aren't bothered by someone's size until other people make fun of somebody who's overweight. And then all of a sudden that little bit of what I call bigotry kicks in about someone who's overweight. That really just blew me away because I was like, yeah, you know, you don't realize when the subtle
1: bigotry begins. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right. And children it, are taught that. Yeah. You know, Emerson talks about the little boy she used to babysit on her street who's now a teenager. Mm-hmm. That's it. She loved this little boy. He loved her until he got older and was taught by someone that people aren't cool. And here's this little kid that she just adored and had this very tender history with who now ignores her. And she's so afraid that he's going to say something cruel to her. Mm. You know, and she just can't bear that thought. And little children are very honest. Uh, I was talking about this with one of my friends recently about how kids will say things without it being insulting necessarily and I have dozens of cousins and seven godchildren and six nieces and nephews and so on and so forth and my own two kids. And we were laughing so hard at the things kids say to you that are so innocent. Right. Whether it's like you have a pimple on your face, you know, or I remember my kids saying, you have a bald spot in your eyebrow, mommy. (laughs) Just like there's nothing they won't comment on.
0: Whatever it is.
1: They but they don't necessarily mean it to be cruel when they're little enough. But I do think we have to be so careful about raising kids who understand that bodies come in all shapes, sizes, colors, abilities. And if you start from there, then it's hopefully the idea that someone is heavy or too thin or too little or too tall, you know, I'm saying too based on like society's judgment, that that's okay, you know. I mean i have i wrote a character a while ago a few years ago who was very thin and small and she was bullied for that for Uh being tiny and bony and the kids were horrible to her you know it's like you can't win for losing i also wrote a character a woman who was six feet tall and you know that was always an issue for her and she was super athletic the name of that book was just one of the guys and that was her cross the bear, you know, of being seen as less feminine than whatever society decided she was supposed to be. Exactly. So, you know, again, like getting back to those messages, I think the more aware we are of them, the better able we are to combat them and wade through them and dismiss them and decide for ourselves what health and beauty and worth where those come from. That is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs>
0: You've got me crying again. I'm sorry. (laughs) Kristen Higgins' Good Luck With That is now at your local bookstore. You can also buy a digital version online. For more about Kristen, go to her website, KristenHiggins.com. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur, signing off.